Hi there, Doug here. <laughs> I know this isn't my usual opening of the show, but as you may have heard, the Writers Guild of America is on strike. Television and movie production uh, is currently either severely impacted or it's entirely shut down. Now, I'm not in the Writers Guild of America. I'm not even in the Writers Guild of my own made-up land. But I thought maybe I should support my, although they don't know it, my brothers and sisters in writing. <laughs> I'm sure they don't know it. Artificial intelligence is one of the sticking points in the writer's strike. Machines writing scripts, taking jobs away. You know, the robots are taking over, I swear to it. <laughs> but I've heard that those artificial things aren't especially reliable, and at times they're just plain wrong. Well, I thought I needed to get episode 117 posted, so I figured maybe... I test out one of those AI chat machines. Now, I, I can't afford uh, one of those high-priced, expensive ones who can rewrite the entire collection of Shakespeare in some foreign language. But I did find a free one online. <laughs> I decided to give it a try. You know, you're supposed to enter a bunch of stuff. So I entered a few things about my show, you know, like the introduction, parts I include, like listener locations. You get the picture. So uh, here goes. Lift off and the clock has started. Here we go. Hello, this is 20 minutes of an hour, perhaps it will be minutes less. It has also been determined that after listening to this episode, number 100 episodes and then 17 more, you will not be able to recover any of your time, of the backyard clock. To begin the show, I am scheduled to identifying some populated areas where statues have listened to the past epidurals. First, hello to Lincoln, California, who you know is the president of a state. And next, we say hello to a country, located in the middle of the European contingent. Hello. It's time to make a swimming maneuver called a dive, into the topic that has been outlined for today. At the conclusion of this performance, I have a list to share because lists have become a stapler of this one-third of an hour. Thank you. <laughs> well, that didn't go well, did it? <laughs> Greetings, everyone. I'm Doug Prezak, and this is 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back, and it is episode 117, or as uh, the AI calls it, 117 more. <laughs> Thanks for clicking on the show. I, I hope you're still listening. <laughs> that was just a fun little bit. Okay, okay. I'm not knocking AI. Those guys will kill you. Let's see. Before we get going, I want to acknowledge the countries that downloaded the last episode, of course, the U.S., but also... Germany, Israel, Australia, the Netherlands, Kazakhstan, Malta, Switzerland, Sweden, and Trinidad, Tobago. <laughs> Trinidad, Tobago. You guys in the Caribbean, what are you doing listening to this podcast? <laughs> All right, let's see. I was trying to think of what topic to yak about today. Well, you know, what needed to be discussed? What's on my mind? Well, there was one pretty big event that took place over the weekend. The United Kingdom has a new king. <laughs> Well, I've actually had one for a few months, but Charles got his crown. <laughs> I suspect a number of you actually watched the event live, all five hours of it. But uh, here in California, it started at 3 a.m., so uh, that's why I have a DVR, and uh, thank God I do. I mean, you folks in England, you guys really know how to throw a gigantic-level uh, event but between you and me, the entire coronation thing could have only lasted maybe 30 minutes if you just would have cut out all that singing. <gasps> oh, come on. I, I get the pomp and circumstance, the royal history, the whole thing. Uh, but I use the fast forward button on my remote so much, I had to change the batteries. Anyway, your whole uh, king crowning thing looked like just a lot of fun. But enough with the singing, especially the Latin stuff. I'm just saying. 
<laughs> I know I've insulted multiple countries under the British flag, but uh, sorry. <laughs> Back to today's topic. So between the writer's strike and the royal coronation, I came up with a topic for this episode. You guessed it, ice cream. <laughs> I bet you didn't see that coming, did you? <laughs> You're probably saying, okay, Doug, what uh, ticked you off about ice cream enough to make you do a whole podcast about it? Well, it, it didn't tick me off. I saw something. I was in a very a large store, uh, grocery store kind of place yesterday. And in the freezer department, there was this tub. It was a five-gallon tub of Rocky Road ice cream. <laughs> the, you know, the tubs like you see in Home Depot, big giant thing. I thought, how much Rocky Road ice cream do you need <laughs> to buy a five-gallon tub of it? <laughs> so that got me thinking about Ice cream. Well, let's start here, okay? Ice cream is one of the world's oldest desserts. Now, the history of ice cream starts around uh, 500 BC or so. Somebody in the uh, Persian Empire decided it was a good idea to combine ice with grape juices, fruits, and other flavors, and they came up with a very expensive but also very hard to make a uh, frozen uh, concoction. Now, recipes of this ice-based ice cream we call it sorbet now. Got to be fancy. The recipe traveled to ancient Rome where it was welcomed by the emperors and nobility with open hands, <laughs> probably sticky hands. <laughs> Writings and stories from this period of time talk about armies of runners who carried ice from the mountains down to the big Roman cities during the summertime. Now, sadly, after the fall of the Roman Empire, organized ice transport from the mountains to the cities stopped, and ice cream continued to be even more expensive product. Around 200 AD, ancient Chinese records tell of a frozen mixture of milk and rice that was consumed as a summer treat. And then around 800 to 900 AD, Arabs defined the modern recipe of ice cream by introducing milk and sugar as the primary ingredient. By the 10th century, ice cream was made of milk, cream, flavored rose water, dried fruits and nuts, and was eaten throughout the Arab lands. During the 9th through the 11th centuries, milk-based frozen products enabled cooks to produce a wide variety of new ice creams that started the era of Neapolitan ice cream, gelato, and a lot of others. In the 13th through 14th centuries, Italy was the center of trade with the Middle East and Asia, and the innovations that were made in China and Arab countries appeared in Europe and changed the way we looked at ice cream forever. You hear that? Forever. Now, this expansion of ice cream wasn't an easy one by any uh, means, and it happened only after the famed Italian noblewoman, Catherine de' Medici, went to France in 1533 to marry the Duc d'Orléans, you know, the uh, future king of France. Once she was there, she introduced the nobility of the continental Europe with the many wonders of the East, things like uh, utensils, <laughs> high-heeled shoes, and, of course, ice cream. With the nobility fueling its production because they really wanted ice cream, innovators, technicians, and cooks all put their best efforts into developing the rise of ice cream's popularity and the availability across the world. You're probably saying to yourself right about now, hey, Doug, can ice cream be deadly? <laughs> How many of you asked that? Raise your hand. Well, it can, sort of. You see, 1649 saw the most famous ice cream-related death. Poor chef of Charles I of England. He just couldn't keep things to himself. You see, he let a few people in on his famous ice cream recipe. Then it started circulating in the public. Uh-oh. Yeah, unfortunately for the chef, he broke his oath to Charles I of England to never reveal the recipe. He was beheaded shortly thereafter. Ice cream was served at a banquet 
for the Feast of St. George at Windsor Castle in 1671. It was such a rare and exotic dish that only guests sitting at King Charles II's table had one plate of white strawberries and one plate of iced cream. (laughs) All the other guests had to sit there and watch and marvel at what the royal table was eating. (laughs) Oh my God. With the enormous price tag and inability to easily store ice, ice creams remained expensive until the 17th and 18th century when organized collection of ice and underground preservation started to spread across Europe and North America. Production capabilities changed throughout the centuries and new recipes and fashions were formed. Refrigeration techniques and automated machines were all introduced and ice creams traveled to all four corners of the world, even though the world's round. The uh, technique of making a custard-based ice cream using egg yolks started in France around the middle of the 18th century and this is the origin of custard-based ice cream. The Americans had to wait until 1800 to get their first taste of ice cream. It's time for a break. I'd like to say I'm going to run out to the freezer and get a bowl of ice cream, but I know for a fact I don't have any, so uh, I hope you do. And when we come back, the Industrial Revolution meets ice cream, and I have a list. Of course I do. (laughs) Don't take too long getting your ice cream. I'll be right back. Gee, Annie, that was a scrumptious dinner. What's for dessert? I hope it's... What you hope is what you're going to get, if you promise to help me with the dishes. I do all the dishes in Diablo for just one big dish of that carnation ice cream. (laughs) Well, carnation ice cream is pretty special, Tag. It's extra smooth and creamy. It's better than homemade, if you ask me. Now, you'll find premium quality carnation ice cream at better stores and fountains everywhere, available in a variety of flavors. So for the most delicious ice cream ever, buy it by that famous name. Carnation. Annie Oakley was presented by the Carnation Company, Fresh Milk and Ice Cream Division. Carnation Ice Cream (laughs) and Annie Oakley. (laughs) Where do we leave off? Oh, yeah, that's right. Ice cream makes it to America. In 1813, Dolly Madison, you know her, she was the wife of the U.S. President James Madison. Well, she served ice cream at the presidential inaugural ball. People attending that event didn't have to watch didn't have to watch them eat because they got some too. <laughs> ice cream manufacturing was simplified in the 19th century with the introduction of the ice cream machine in 1843 in both England and America. Now this newfangled machine consisted of a wooden bucket that was filled with ice and salt and had a handle which rotated a metal container. And in the middle of the container was the ice cream mixture. Now, this churning process produced ice cream with an even smooth texture. And guess what? An electric version of the same thing is available on Amazon for just $42. (laughs) You can start your own ice cream company. In 1904, the World's Fair was held in St. Louis, Missouri, and ice cream was available to the public. There was such a demand for the ice cream, it caused the local ice cream sellers to make the world's first ice cream cones so they could sell walk-away ice cream. The uh, early cones were made by a nearby waffle vendor who curved a waffle cookie into a cone shape. The modern age of ice cream history started shortly after the end of World War I when commercial and continuous electrical refrigerators became available. 
This enabled the manufacturers to start producing very large quantities of the frozen stuff, and it enabled the creation of cheap and easy-to-produce ice creams, especially in the United States. The international acceptance of ice creams can be partly contributed to the years of World War II when flash-frozen and dried ice creams became part of the official U.S. Army rations, which were distributed on all the fronts across Europe, North Africa, East Asia, and the Pacific. After World War II, ice cream industry received massive expansion, enabling creation of countless ice cream flavors, artificial ingredients, and accessible price. Now, in the second part of the 20th century, refrigerators and freezers in homes had become fairly commonplace. Hollywood regularly incorporated ice cream in their movies, and if the stars were eating ice cream, well, then so should everybody else. A new production capability enabled creation of many new types of ice cream, most notably soft serve and the ice cream sundae. And I'm going to have more on that in a little bit. Today, the ice cream industry earns dozens of billions of dollars. <laughs> Why did I write it like that? Today, the ice cream industry earns dozens of billions of dollars. <laughs> I wrote it. I still can't read it. Today, the ice cream industry earns dozens of billions of dollars each year with the United States being the largest consumer of this phenomenal summertime treat. Duh. So there you go, ice cream. But you know what? I still have some time left, so you know what that means. Either I have some facts or I have a list. And you are so in luck today, my frozen dairy product lovers. <laughs> I have both. <laughs> Music, please. Hawaii is home to a ice cream bean. It's a fruit that tastes like vanilla ice cream. <laughs> Just go buy ice cream. <laughs> One cone of ice cream can be finished off in 30 licks. <laughs> I wonder how much research grant money they got for that. <laughs> it takes 12 gallons of milk to create one gallon of ice cream. That uh, sucks on that ROI. The French population started eating ice cream openly in 1660. So I guess they were just secretly eating it in 1659. The largest worldwide consumption of ice cream is in the United States. One average U.S. citizen consumes 48 pints of ice cream per year. Now, I call BS on that statistic. Let's see. We're going to do some math here. Stop the music. Okay, generally an ice cream scoop is about half a cup or four ounces. So there's 32 scoops in a gallon of ice cream doing the math. That's a four scoops in a pint. Multiply four times 48. And it is 192 scoops of ice cream per person in a year on average. <laughs> I know I don't eat 192 scoops of ice cream in a year, so thank you to those of you who are uh, taking care of my share. <laughs> How about this one? Brain freeze. It's real and it hurts. I don't know about you, but I freeze my head uh, quite often when I'm drinking a milkshake or better yet, a frozen margarita. You'd think I'd learn, wouldn't you? So what's happening that causes you to squeeze a bridge of your nose while you bang your head on the table? The effect is triggered when cold ice touches the roof of your mouth. That in turn causes blood vessels in your head to dilate. No blood the brain, it hurts. <laughs> and the last fact, the biggest ice cream sundae was created in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada in 1988. It weighed 24 tons. <laughs> 
24 tons. That's a lot of scoops. <laughs> but now you're saying to yourself, hey, Doug, you're bearing the lead here. The bigger question is, why is it called an ice cream sundae and why is it spelled S-U-N-D-A-E? I love your question. That means bonus research. Well, you see, there were so-called blue laws established here in the U.S. in the 1800s. One of them was that sporting events couldn't be played before noon on a Sunday, but another was that some states made it illegal to sell soda on a Sunday. But this soda ban was a, a big problem for anyone that enjoyed ice cream floats. Pharmacies, and by the way kids, that's where you used to have to go to get a milkshake or a, a, a ice cream sundae at the pharmacy. <laughs> anyway, they had to find another way to convince people to buy ice cream on Sundays. So, they replaced the soda with chocolate sauce. You getting the picture now? As for why it's spelled S-U-N-D-A-E instead of S-U-N-D-A-Y, well, basically, it was to make it more obvious that you could buy the ice cream on any day of the week, not just on a Sunday. And another reason was that it would be less offensive to the devout people that the pharmacists were trying to appeal to. The most profitable day for ice cream sellers is almost always on Sunday. <laughs> and to uh, close out this chill episode, you see what I did there? <laughs> I pulled together surveys from 10 different sources, everything from frozendessertsupplies.com to uh, Newsweek to AARP. Yes, seniors like ice cream too. Don't be an ageist, okay? <laughs> I put their rankings in a spreadsheet and averaged them out and came out with a ranked order from 10 all the way up to number one, the top ice cream flavor. Let's see where your favorite ended up. Number 10 with a score of 10. <laughs> pistachio. Yeah, pistachio is just a little too she-she for me. I like pistachio nuts, but not ice cream, sorry. Number nine with a score of 9.8 birthday cake or cake batter is that anybody's favorite number eight with a 9.3 score was neapolitan yeah clearly that's just an ice cream for people who can't quite make up their mind maybe it's people want everything i you know whatever coming at number seven with a 7.3 was cookie dough i say just eat some cookie dough you know it tastes like the real thing because it is a real thing but I guess if you want the frozen version of cookie dough, cookie dough ice cream is number seven on the list. Number six with a 6.3 score is butter pecan. I don't know how this is in the top 10 and not Rocky Road. Oh crap, did I spoil the ending for you? Sorry. Anyway, number six, butter pecan. Number five with a 5.1 was strawberry. No, I'm sorry, no. This should be number 15 or 16 on a list of 10. <laughs> yeah, I'm standing firm on that one. and You can't change my mind. Strawberry, no. Number four. We're getting so close to the top. Are you excited? Number four with a score of 5.0. Cookies and cream. <laughs> I guess we know what the cream part is. <laughs> number three with a score of 3.8. Chocolate chip or mint chocolate chip. I don't disagree with that. And that leaves the top two favorites. Now, these results may surprise you. Coming in at number two with a 2.3 is vanilla. How on earth is this number two and Rocky Road didn't even make the list? Vanilla ice cream is so boring. It, it's like white paint. It's just there. Well, that leaves the number one ice cream flavor with a score of 1.5 and it's chocolate. <laughs> Did you see that coming? <laughs> 
Well, that's going to wrap up episode 117. But first, as usual, what do we learn? Well, we learned that it's Doug's opinion that there's too much singing in a royal coronation. <laughs> it's just my opinion. I'm probably wrong. We learned that you do not want to break an oath you have with King Charles I. <laughs> he holds a grudge. <laughs> and apparently, we learned that you need to eat one scoop of ice cream every other day to be average. <laughs> Thank you very much for tuning and listening. And I'll talk to you next time on 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Bye-bye. Are you telling me Rocky Road didn't make the top 10? What is wrong with these people? Hi, it's me again, Doug. I want to take up a couple more seconds of your time just to remind you, if you want to stay informed of when uh, the next podcast is posted... All you need to do is sign up at uh, on that Instagram machine. It's at uh, 20MYNGB, 20MYNGB, and that means 20 minutes you'll never get back. Uh, if you sign up there, you'll uh, always see when the next podcast is uploaded. And if you want to leave some comments, by all means, please do go to the uh, website at 20minutespodcast.com. So it's 20minutespodcast.com. And uh, you can uh, leave your comments there. It also tells you how you can be an announcer for the show. So take take a look at those two things if you like and stay informed. And I'll, as always, thank you very much for listening to uh, 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Bye-bye. <laughs>